Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Gerard Artson. I probably pronounced the last name wrong, sorry about that. Um, and no, he, you got, I did sorry. get it right? You, you got it right, you got it perfectly. Right. Awesome. And he's an author of uh, quite a few books, and they're really interesting, the kind of... Uh, focus on uh, UFOs and the history and I guess what their agenda is. Am I correct? Yes, yes, absolutely, um, uh, Gary. Um, and especially uh, how their presence uh, and appearance relates to our state of evolution on this planet. Interesting. So... I want to start from the beginning. I want to ask the most obvious question. What got you into this subject? Um, I, I've been a student of the Ageless Wisdom teaching um, seen all, for all my adult life. And the Ageless Wisdom teaching uh, was introduced in the 19th, reintroduced to the modern world in the 19th century, late 19th century by Madame Blavatsky. Mm-hmm. And it holds that we are all engaged in an eternal cycle of evolution towards uh, back towards the source uh, and uh, of course the, the consciousness needs a, a, a form a body of expression um, so the evolution on this planet for instance of the the mineral kingdom uh, coming into existence first and from that the vegetable kingdom and the animal kingdom and from there the the human kingdom but in the human kingdom consciousness takes on a self-aware um, uh, character a characteristic um, uh, a propensity and the uh, the nature of life is really about reconnecting but now as self-aware units uh, with the source of everything that exists and and that is really the uh, the basic tenet of the ages wisdom teaching oh, wow. and my interest in in flying saucers contactees uh, extraterrestrial contact claims mm-hmm. um well i've always been interested in in stories about uh, flying saucers especially the 1950s contactees but when i learned that george adamski wrote a book before he became famous um, with his claims of contact, flying saucers have landed inside the spaceships, two books that he published in the 1950s. He wrote a book uh, which he called Wisdom of the Masters of the Far East. The Masters of the Far East, the Masters of Wisdom, are those members of the human family, the human kingdom, who have gone ahead of us, uh, who have evolved out of the human kingdom, um, and who remain in in fairly large number on this planet to inspire and guide the rest of humanity into the same stage of of evolution, the evolution of consciousness. Okay. So would that be like considered like extended masters? Yes, a, that's a very popular term uh, that is used. Although not all the masters uh, are ascended in mm-hmm. the in the technical term, but no need to go into that here. Um, but yes, um, many people know them as the Ascended Masters. 
uh, in the Ages of Wisdom teaching, um, they are generally referred to as the Masters of Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they point the way for us. And George Adamski uh, put out a booklet in 1936, which was titled Wisdom of the Masters of Far East. And later on, I learned that he, as a youth, he actually traveled to Tibet to study there with, with one or several of the masters. Um, and this booklet, uh, Wisdom of the Masters of the Far East, um, ha- is a kind of a compilation of the teachings. And if, if listeners are familiar with, for instance, Madame Blavatsky's The Secret Doctrine or any of Alice Ann Bailey's books, or any of the other books in that large body of teachings through various authors like Vera Stanley Alder, um, Murdo MacDonald Bain, Benjamin Cram, to mention just a few others, um, then the, you know the, the the booklet that Adamski wrote in '36 uh, is very much a a very concise. Um, overview of of the basic teachings. Mm-hmm. And when I learned about that, uh, that triggered my interest to dive deeper into the claims of contact of the 1950s contactees. So this is does this have anything to do with the Book of Zion? Um, no, no, no. no. Um, as as far as I know. Um, well, no. Let let me put it differently. Um, I have heard of the Book of Zion. Um, is that is that the book? Are you referring to the book with Zion spelled with an S or with a Z? Uh, D Z Y A N. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, that's that's uh, according to Madame Blavatsky, mm-hmm. the um, the source, the the the, el- the oldest the oldest. Um, records, so to speak, in that body of the Ages Wisdom, which she was the first to reintroduce to the modern world. And uh, much of her work is based on the uh, the stanzas of Zion. Yes, indeed. Right. Because I, I remember reading, like it was like a, supposed to be like a three-dimensional book that only certain people could see. And I think as far as I know, like only her, and I think the other person was like Zachariah Stitchin. Um somehow had access to it really i i was not aware of that claim um i mentioned zachariah sitchin in my new book pioneers of oneness um, because i i i attempt in my book to to give a, a summary of the uh the story of creation the evolution of mm-hmm. cosmos and the evolution of of uh, of mankind as um, presented in by Madame Blavatsky in her work, um, and as far as I'm aware, Zachariah Sitchin or Anik von Däniken, um, Sitchin, because you mentioned him, uh, became very popular, of course, with his modern interpretation of Sumerian clay tablets and based his understanding of of the extraterrestrial presence on his interpretation. Um, but as far as I, I can see, his modern interpretation leaves out a lot of Madame Blavatsky's yeah. um, uh, cosmology and and story of uh, the origin of mankind. So I'm I I tend to sort of 
gravitate more towards the Edge's Wisdom teachings and less mm. to uh, people like Sitchin or Eric von Däniken, for instance, has a very interesting uh, uh, cosmology of his own. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I am, yes. Yes. Um, and uh, when I was a backpacker um, in, uh, in the nine, late 1970s, in, on my first uh, trip to India, in fact, you know, you... you go by these uh, these secondhand bookshops where uh, other uh, belated hippies who traveled the hippie trail <laughs> between London and, and uh, New Delhi and Kathmandu would uh, sell their uh, sell their books for some for some money and uh, and at one point I I discovered uh, uh, Eric von Däniken and, and I was walking around <laughs> traveling around <laughs> with six of his uh, books in my backpack uh, because I thought they were fascinating. Yeah. yeah, but that was before I uh, was introduced to uh, Madame Blavatsky's work, and uh, yeah, he has a he has an interesting cosmology. But again, he leaves out um, almost entirely the uh, the uh, story of uh, creation and evolution as uh, Blavatsky uh, presents it. Right. Like I've read the book of Zion, um, just the 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 book itself. I never read Secret Doctrine because it was just too hard for me to follow. Um, so, so maybe you could enlighten me a little bit about, you know, what exact what what cosmology is she trying to put forth in there? Um, it's it, it's interesting that you say you find the secret doctrine hard to follow because uh, the book of Zion, at least the stanzas of Zion that I know and I'm familiar with through Blavatsky's book, uh, The Secret Doctrine are so abstruse and so esoteric hmm. that without her explanation i you know i wouldn't be able to make any sense of it uh -huh. um, the cosmology that she as she explains it as she expounds it um says that yeah the 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 absolute um, um um, projects from itself the creative principle which then uh, divides into spirit and matter mm -hmm. father and mother where they meet uh, consciousness comes into being and this is at a level a plane far beyond our uh, uh, imagination um, and from that emerges basically everything that we know including the Big Bang, um, as it's known in science, um, and the Big Bang was not, uh, a, you know, a singular event, uh, but it happens all the time. It's like an inbreathing and an outbreathing of, of the, uh, um, yeah, the, the the creative principle, mm -hmm. um, and uh, these are uh, <laughs> cycles of of unimaginable du duration. And within the cycles, those those enormous cycles are smaller cycles, and the uh, the cycles that that most uh, affect us in in our current state of consciousness and awareness are the uh, twenty six thousand year cycles of the solar system along the signs of the zodiac, uh, with approximately uh, two thousand one hundred and fifty years. Um, that 
the solar system spans in an alignment with each of these signs of the zodiac. And we are now at the time in history and the evolution of the planet and the solar system, of course, um, that we have moved away from the influence of the sign of Pisces into uh, the uh, influence, the energies of the sign of uh, Aquarius. This is an astronom astronomical fact that, that you can just uh, you know, ascertain when you go to uh, any observatory. Um, of course, science, it's astrophysics or astro astronomy, does not recognize that there are energetic influences from those uh, constellations in the zodiac. But that is what, uh, um, what the Ages Wisdom teaching tells us because we live in an energetic universe everything mm -hmm. that we see is energy and the right. uh, in my in the first chapter of my book pioneers of oneness i um i show how the um uh, this basic principle uh, which was first um, presented by Blavatsky is now recognized uh, by science and especially uh, systems uh, science mm -hmm. but increasingly also in mainstream science yeah. Um, so that makes it very interesting to it is. to to find the corroborations between Adamski's esoteric uh, explanation, cosmology, and the uh, the latest uh, findings uh, in 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 the various uh, strands and disciplines of of science, and especially system science, because they um, draw uh, uh, from from all kinds of scientific disciplines and find evidence um, to to uh, outline to discover uh, the um, the systemic correspondences and and from there extrapolate you know what does it all mean where where are we at um, so and and yeah so the the, the cycles um, that we were just discussing uh, at the moment the and this is according to um, the uh, late British esotericist uh, Benjamin Graham, who also worked and spoke and wrote in the tradition of Blavatsky and Alice Bailey um, about the Masters of Wisdom. Uh, his information was that, uh, I believe, since the late 1990s or the early noughties, um, the influence of the energies from the constellation of Aquarius are now stronger than um, those energies from from uh, Pisces. Of course, there's no there's no hard cut between those uh, uh, those influences. There's a gradual uh, movement um, from one alignment to uh, from the alignment of one with one constellation to the next. And at the moment, uh, we are in the early stages of the age of Aquarius. Everybody is aware, uh, most people will be aware of that notion through the song from the 60s. Um, but that's an actual uh, thing that is happening. And, and that is actually what lies behind the uh, massive problems that we are experiencing uh, in every field of, of human endeavor at the moment, you know. We can see it in all our structures and systems, which are failing because they were based on the energies and they result from our response to the energies of, of Pisces. And those energies are withdrawing and new energies are, are coming in. So the old systems 
are no longer working, whether it's economic, financial, political, um, educational, scientific, uh, you name it. Um, and, and being at this, at this, um, uh, yeah, living in, in this time of transition uh, causes these, uh, these massive problems that we are facing at the moment. So, and how how does this connect into uh, the the UFO and alien phenomenon? The um, um, according to the teachings, every minor cycle, uh, every new age, is inaugurated by a teacher who is sent into the world from the ranks of the masters of wisdom. Uh, Two thousand years ago, in inaugurating. Uh, the age of Pisces, um, the uh, world teacher, or in Christian terms, the Christ, worked through his disciple Jesus, uh, from the baptism in the River Jordan until the crucifixion. So Jesus became the Christ. Uh, by you know, by now, uh, just uh, in his next incarnation as Apollonius of Tiana, Jesus became a master in his own right and is now known. Uh, as the Master Jesus, who, uh, according again, uh, according to the information of Benjamin Graham, um, is based in the outskirts of uh, of Rome, Italy, um, and so the age of Aquarius will, in turn, be inaugurated by uh, a teacher, the world teacher. This time, has decided to come himself in a physical body. Um, not overshadowing a disciple, not um, uh, remaining on the, um, you know, on the inner planes, working only energetically, but he's also focused uh, uh, part of his consciousness in a physical body, indestructible. So it won't be possible to to crucify him or uh, get him out of the way in in any other way, any, in any other shape. So um, this this time of transition. Is is very um, tricky in a way because there's a lot of opposition. There's there's huge interests who stand to lose um, the world as we know it uh, because that gives them immense privilege and power. Um, and the UFOs are here um, in order to help build the spiritual platform for the emergence of of the world teacher. Um, several contactees have uh, have only hinted at at this uh, at this role of the UFOs. They are involved in massive work in terms of keeping the planet habitable uh, in the face of you know the uh, enormous uh, detrimental effects of of nuclear um, radiation since the uh, the first. Um, tests and, and bombs, uh, atom bombs were exploded in mm -hmm. the 1940s. Um, and if the, if it weren't for their work of of uh, neutralizing uh, uh, and imploding the concentrations of nuclear radiation in our atmosphere, uh, this planet would have been uninhabitable already. It would be very painful to live here uh, because it affects. Um, unknown, unbeknownst to our science, uh, it affects our etheric bodies, which are the, the energetic blueprints of our physical bodies. Our physical bodies are merely a precipitation of our real bodies, the energetic bodies where we find the chakras. 
and and the nuclear radiation has the worst effects and negative effects on on our etheric bodies uh, which which uh, accounts for the uh, you know the uh, increasing uh, instances of of alzheimer's disease for instance and if it were not for the uh, uh, for the unrelenting work of the of the space visitors um, this this would be uh, even worse than it is today and in their work their main task um, of um, uh, and the main the main or one of the one of I should say one of the um, uh, as one of the aspects of their work uh, and, and one of the reasons for their coming here in such large numbers since the 1950s is indeed to uh, to support and build this spiritual platform which eventually will um, allow the world teacher for the new age to uh, to step forward and present himself to humanity and uh, to help us help the masters the world teacher um, to guide inspire humanity to make the right choices uh, to safely move forward into the future why do they care <laughs> Yeah, why do they care? That's that's a good uh, that's a good question. But um, if if you remember that, and and I, that's that's exactly the point of my book, Pioneers of Oneness. If we remember that we all come from the same source, and that we live in an energetic universe, universe as science is now confirming, that means everything. There's nothing in the universe that is separate, that is not connected to you and me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no separation even between atoms you know the atoms that are in our bodies now may well have been um, in in a star system I don't know how many uh, light years away or, or the atom atomic subatomic particles you know it, um, Carl Sagan um, once uh, said in his uh, famous uh, TV series um, we are all born of stardust and we are a way of the universe to know itself um, to illustrate the fact that we are all involved and, and we're all part of the same thing in the same origin and it's basically a scientific more or less scientific uh, explanation of what jesus said when he said i and the father are one there is no separation so the space people the space visitors are concerned with the choices that we make and with our safe um, passage into the future um, because we are an integral part of the solar system and the, the visitors who come here in flying saucers in, in UFOs if you will are here uh, from um, exclusively from other planets in our system because there are no planets that uh, well, uh, there are very few planets that are not inhabited. Um, even though our probes, when they uh, crisscross around Mars, for instance, uh, the surface on Mars, they don't find any signs of habitation. They find no cities, or, and they find hardly any water or other conditions that our science uh, says are um, necessary f- uh, conditions for, for life. Um, but that is because life on most other planets has not precipitated onto the dense physical planes as it has on our planet 
which makes our planet really a very special place in in the, in the solar system, and it is, uh, you know, the, it, it is um, um, very often visited, even you know, as, from a tourist point of view, uh, by people from other planets because it's it's quite unique, and they call it the blue gem in the sky, um, and so it is also in their own interest that we don't blow up the planet or that we don't uh, uh, annihilate humanity on this planet. It, it, they, are, they see us as brothers and sisters and they want to make sure that we will have the same kind of civilization that, that they have, that they've had for thousands, millions of years. Um, and share in in the in the knowledge and the experience of of uh, life as we cannot even imagine it at the moment. So, are are they sort of like ethereal? I'm sorry. That's what, are they ethereal, ethereal basically? That's why we don't could, when we I go to like the Mars, that. we don't see them. Yes, I think you could say that. Um, you may have heard uh, of people who witnessed a UFO sighting and they will say that one one moment nothing was there and the next moment they saw a UFO or the other way around they mm -hmm. saw a UFO and the next moment it was gone um, sometimes it speeds off and it seems to disappear sometimes it's just there and it disappears and and there's uh, by now there's uh, um, video captures of such uh, um, occurrences as well and that shows their control over the uh, the physical planes of existence uh, where from their existence on the ethereal etheric planes uh, they are able uh, with their technology to kind of flick a switch drop the rate of vibration of the uh, the subatomic particles of their the, the craft uh, or their bodies, if if it's uh, you know it's going to be a one-to-one uh, -one contact uh, on uh, on our planet's surface, um, and and be visible to our uh, to our eyes, and and vice versa. If they flick the switch again, they they are invisible. They are out, they are outside our range of vision. Um, how about abductions? Is, is is the reason why they are um, abducting people, or is there different species of aliens? Some that have our best interests at heart, and some that don't. Mm, I would say it isn't so much a matter of species. Um, every planet has its own um, stream of life that, at one point expresses and manifests uh, at the human stage and depending on um, each specific planet's uh, conditions and, and composition um, the planet's humanity will have will have uh, you know somewhat different appearances and characteristics but the general the general format of of the human kingdom is uh, mostly the same on every planet. You know, the trunk and, and uh, four limbs and a head, etc. Um, and um, the, the planets themselves are not all at the same um, stage of evolution. Uh, so there are planets that are uh, far far beyond our stage of evolution like Venus, 
um, uh, Saturn, uh, Jupiter, Mercury, um, some like Mars are almost at the same level that we are, same stage that we are, but they haven't made as many mistakes. And again, other planets like Pluto that are uh, not nearly as far advanced as, uh, as Earth is, or not nearly at our stage. And there seems to have been a time where people from different planets, whether far advanced or not so far advanced, uh, were able to travel across the, um, uh, you know, and, and, and come here um, for, I mean, those who are not so uh, far evolved uh, would come here for their own purposes. Uh, but that has, that has been stopped because we live in this crucial time in, in human history, human evolution. Um, and the abductions uh, is my conclusion, and not only my conclusion, Dr. Stephen Greer um, has come to the same conclusion based on, on, uh, on his contacts and, and documents that he, uh, in his own research. Um, the abductions, <laughs> because it, it's very interesting, if you look at it in, in, in at the history of, of uh, you, uh, you know, the uh, sightings of UFOs and, and contacts, um, which of course, it started in the, in the late 1940s, the Foo Fighters and the first flying saucers being, uh, being spotted by Kenneth Arnold over, uh, over the Washington State and the first crashes in, in Roswell, for instance, 1947. Um, and uh, then in the 1950s came George Adamski and many other contactees, not only in the United States, but uh, in, uh, in all over the world, really. Um, claiming to have been contacted by the occupants of the flying saucers. And all of them, without exception, describe the immense sense of brotherliness, friendliness, um, concern for, for humanity um, that spoke um, from their contacts and, and the accounts and the experiences that they had. Uh, there were no abductions. There was no such thing as abductions. That only began to uh, seep into the narrative about UFOs when it had been decided that too many, you know, the, the, the public interest in the message from the Space Brothers, as they were known, the people visiting from other planets, um, message uh, for... Of, of international brotherhood, seek cooperation to solve your problems, not not war. Um, very much, very similar to you know the Christian message of uh, you are your brother's keeper, um, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and this was coming out in the in the uh, accounts of the contactees in the midst of the Cold War. During the Cold War governments, the US government, the Soviet government, were heavily invested, of course, in the development of new nuclear weapons, which they were not willing to give up, despite uh, offers of, of uh, new, safer technology by the initial uh, contacts from space. Um, and um, in order to, to, um, to stop 
and to diminish the public interest in the messages from space, because the public remember that we have to remember that the public was living under the uh, you know the, the the very tangible threat of nuclear annihilation during the Cold War, and especially in the 1950s. Um, so the governments, um, you know, they they were not willing to give up their their ideology, their their uh, sphere of influence, the Western Bloc and the Eastern Bloc. So they had to find a way to uh, to scare and confuse the public. It began with uh, uh, an enormous uh, number of of uh, scary movies about alien invasion, and then the first uh, the first account of an abduction only appeared in 1961. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why would that not have been reported in the 40s or the 50s? And as I said, Dr. Stephen Greer has uh, has, uh, um, has produced documentation about, um, um, what does he call them, special access programs, uh, black budgets. And through these programs and, and budgets, the military, uh, especially, I think, um, were uh, and were enlisted and and uh, and have been involved in staging abduction experiences. Um, at least that is my understanding. Um, whether it was drug-induced or hypnosis-induced or some other, you know, with elaborate sets and and costumes, whatever, what have you, um, we know that. You can make people believe and implant memories quite effectively. You know, there's been a psychological warfare going on for a long time. The Russians are known to have been uh, um, researching um, telepathy and, and uh, psych uh, telekinesis, and as has the CIA and, and other intelligence uh, uh, agencies in the U.S. Um, so uh, it is. Uh, there's every um, every reason to believe that the um, abduction experiences uh, were either uh, staged by, you know, the uh, the military um, uh, military agents, or um, you know they uh, they were the result of an overactive imagination, or. Um, People had an, an actual contact experience, but because of the strangeness and the and the maybe they were their minds were unprepared, um, they translated it into what had become the popular narrative about oh I was abducted. But in fact, for instance, uh, Travis Walton, um, he uh, initially uh, described his experience as as an abduction and. Uh, 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 a couple of years ago, he uh, he came on YouTube and stated, "Well, it was actually more of an ambulance call." Um, so, um, I don't believe in abductions uh, being uh, being uh, perpetrated by mm -hmm. uh, the visitors from space. How about crop circles? Crop circles, yes. Mm. Are, are they trying to communicate with us through crop circles? Um, I understand it's not so much an attempt to communicate, but uh, again, according to Benjamin Krem, um, who uh, died in uh, 2016, and but he had been working with the uh, Space Brothers uh, for uh, a brief time, short time in the 1950s, he said that the crop circles um, 
serve uh, a twofold purpose. On the one hand, they are like silent calling cards. And of course, we're talking about the genuine crop circles, not the hoaxes. And the genuine crop circles, according to researchers, can be distinguished by certain growth nodes through exposure to a massive uh, kind of radiation. Uh, and their st the stems of the crops are undamaged, uh, while as in, in, uh, in hoaxed uh, formations, uh, they are uh, usually broken um, and there are no growth nodes. Um, uh, so they're silent calling cards, uh, sort of eliciting, provoking our interest, our curiosity. Where do they come from? Who put them there? And of course, there's now uh, a, f a couple of uh, videos showing um, balls of light over over fields where, in a matter of seconds, the most elaborate uh, formations uh, appear. And these are created by the UFOs, according to Benjamin Cram, uh, through... Um, the, uh, the power of thought and the thought, it, the, the, the Space Brothers form the image that they want to uh, print in the crops um, and through their probes, let's call them probes, um, some people call them telemeter disks and the, we see them as balls of light, some people see them in, you know, with their eyes sometimes, sometimes they're captured on video. Um, and and these fly over the fields and, and are directed over the fields and they leave that the, the imprint with the design that was thought up by the, the space visitors. And they are made on the vortices um, where the lines in the electromagnetic field of the Earth cross each other. Yeah, some people call them ley lines. There are there is an electromagnetic field of around the Earth, and where the lines in that in that grid uh, cross each other, there are vortices of energy. The Space Brothers are creating, according to Benjamin Graham, um, duplicating the uh, electromagnetic field on the physical plane, and um, this they do in preparation of what is called the technology of light. And I, I have devoted a whole chapter of about that in, in my new book. Um, the technology of light, and I do that because it's very interesting to see that George Adamski in his book, Pioneers of Space from 1949, but it's been uh, reprinted now. It's now generally available through the various uh, uh, republications. Um, but already in 1949, George Adamski was uh, writing about um, how the, um, the, powers, the, the, the power needs uh, and, um, on, on the various planets that he visited in out-of-body experiences, which he describes in his book, Pioneers of Space, um, are you, for their power, you, they use the technology of light on Mars, on Venus, etc., um, so that was very interesting, and uh, in my chapter I describe or I kind of summarize information from uh, Benjamin Cram and, and some other sources, how the technology of light will provide all our energy needs in the future as soon as we have made the conscious choice as the human race on this planet to abolish war forever, 
as a means of resolving conflict. Uh, the technology of light will be um, put at our disposal to provide all our energy needs, uh, domestic and industrial transportation. And the crop circles um, are the duplication, are form part of the duplication of the uh, the uh, electromagnetic grid around the planet and they will be used somehow with let's call them boxes where energy direct from the sun will be stored and and somehow connected with this uh, this uh, grid on the physical plane which the space visitors are creating not much is known about it yet um, so you know I'm I um, uh, of necessity, I, I cannot be more specific, uh, but according to Benjamin Cram, scientists have already been uh, experimenting with the technology of light, the science of light, both in, uh, in the Soviet Union and also in other countries. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there's uh, every reason to be optimistic for for our future uh, because the the new the new safe, clean. Un, unlimited source of energy is already there. It just uh, requires that that we make the right choice, the only feasible, viable choice, practical choice, uh, uh, to live as one humanity, as as the people on other planets do. Um. Can I just expand a bit on that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um. See, we we have just uh, uh, just today, um, as we as we are speaking, um, we've seen the transition of power from the former U.S. administration to the new Biden administration, mm -hmm. and um, um, the, the world has changed. Uh, well, not really changed, but. The, the former administration uh, has highlighted, has magnified the, uh, the intense competition that exists uh, among humanity at the moment. Um, sections of the U.S. population have been pitted against each other more than, than uh, in recent uh, history. Right. Um, countries are competing for the COVID v uh, vaccine. Um, you know, all kinds of uh, all kinds of um, divisions have been have been magnified uh, by the previous U.S. administration, and it has shown us how dangerous these divisions are. In fact, in in a world where competition is necessary to uh, to survive and to get get ahead of others, and, and at the same time, it's not necessary at all. Um, if we would work together, if we had heeded the advice of the Space Brothers in the 1950s to seek international cooperation, the same advice that has been given by uh, high-ranking uh, diplomats and politicians in, uh, in 1980 in the uh, Brandt Report that was uh, put together under in, by a commission headed by the former German Chancellor uh, Willy Brandt, uh, which was titled North-South, a program for survival. Uh, meant to um, to close the the wealth gap um, and and uh, deal with the massive inequality between the industrialized north and the impoverished south um, of the planet. If we had heeded that advice, 
um, we would have solved all the problems because there is no need to compete for food, for techn technological know-how, for for medical supplies or or, or um, um, uh, education or, or shelter. All there there is more than enough to go around if we would just decide to share more equitably. Every if every nation. Um, as proposed also by the Brandt Commission and uh, by Benjamin Krem and, and others, if every nation would pool the resources that they have in excess of the needs of their population. And for instance, under the uh, ages of the United Nations or a new agency of the United Nations, um, would make that available to countries where who, who have a need of a certain type of food or, or building material or medicine, um, then everyone could live quite comfortably and in freedom, in true freedom to pursue um, you know, happiness. Uh, and instead, we have, we have come to believe that competition is necessary to, uh, to live, uh, but it's, it's not necessary at all. It's actually very dangerous. Why, why are we so stubborn? Why don't we listen to yeah, our space good brothers? Question. <laughs> good question. Good question. Why are we so stu I think part of the problem is that we do not recognize that we are essentially one. Uh, we are, and that doesn't mean that, you know, people, when, when we say, you know, we need to live in unity, in diversity, celebrating unity in diversity. And many people shy away or get scared of the word unity because they mistake that they confuse that with uniformity but unity is nothing to do with uniformity they're actually um, uh, polar opposites uh, unity is the natural order of things the the planet is one organic being and one it cannot it cannot exist or continue to exist as it is with with one natural kingdom in nature missing um, it can do without uh, the human kingdom, and it will probably if, if it may take millions of it will take millions of years to uh, allow a new uh, uh, human kingdom to to evolve. But uh, you know, if if we would take away um, the the uh, vegetable kingdom or even a section of the uh, animal kingdom, the whole system will collapse. Mm -hmm. And just recently, there was uh, serious warnings again from um, various uh, agencies um, and scientists that this is exactly what is happening. And, and pandemics like COVID are only a symptom of the very fragile state of, of uh, the planet and, and our natural habitat. Um, and that is, of course, because we have pillaged the planet for profit. Um, every, every imaginable resource uh, we try to dig up, um, uh, you know, look at, at Canada or, or uh, where they, um, or what, what's the technique called again? They, they frack the, um, the rocks to release natural gas um, when it's not, not even necessary. Mm -hmm. So that that inability to see that we are one, one with the planet, and we are one human family. When you when you have a family at home with Thanksgiving, for instance, you don't have say one third of your family eat 
uh, to their heart's content and leave the crumbs for the remaining two-thirds of your family. You don't do that. And the same should apply to uh, with the right kind of consciousness and awareness to the human family. Why, why is it necessary that people uh, like the, the big tech guys uh, are multi-billionaires? How does that help humanity when it's, it, it can only um, be possible by impoverishing two-thirds of humanity? It doesn't make any sense. None at all. People are dying for no good reason. They are just dying for lack of food that, that is stored and, and often rotting in, in, the, in the warehouses, in, in, the, um, in the mountains in, um, in, in the US or, or in the storehouses here in the EU. Uh, and it's only because there are people who are allowed to make money of it. And, and you know, uh, farmers in, in Africa or in Asia have been, have been um, forced out of their livelihood, of their, their small, uh, 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 what do you call that, uh, um, farming grounds mm. where they would grow their, their produce to feed their family or their village uh, because it has been bought up and allowed to be bought up by uh, big agro-businesses. Um, and now they are in the at the mercy of of these big massive companies with no accounting for for and no responsibility uh, to the people that uh, that now exist on uh, on very meager incomes and are are uh, dependent on the on the seeds of uh, you know from Monsanto etc. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I believe that's one of the uh, major problems. And and of course we we are dealing with massive opposition, you know the uh, the the forces of materiality behind the scenes, you know they they will not be in the White House. Uh, you know your previous uh, president uh, was a mere, merely a symptom, um, uh, not really uh, the underlying problem. The underlying problem is is complacency, is greed, and and. Uh, um, yeah, and a level of uh, lack of education. Mm. You know, people are made to believe that freedom is um, <laughs> the freedom is not looking after each other. Freedom is a lack of government, a lack of rules and regulations. Well, if we had rules and regulations, we would be would have been able to to contain the um, um, the massive impact that uh, that these uh, big pharma big tech big big agribusiness um, have have had on um, on the lives of of millions and millions if not billions of of common people so how can our space brothers help us out of this mess well they um, they are here to support us and and to give us hints of what is available to us if we are, if, you know, if we have an open mind and open eyes to the real problems, um, but they cannot save us, and and the masters of wisdom cannot save us. The world teacher cannot save us. We have to see that um, that we are one family and decide that there's only one way forward. Uh, well, there's two ways forward. One way is the old way that we are traveling now uh, to the precipice. Um, increased competition, um, increased conflict, increased chaos, and 
finally, you know, our self-annihilation. That's the going on in the old way. Um, the only practical, sustainable way towards the future is, of course, to recognize that we are one human family, to come together and work together uh, to solve the global problems. Global problems cannot be solved by individual countries. COVID-19 cannot be solved by individual countries. Um, climate uh, change cannot be solved by, by individual countries. Pollution can't be changed. The, the massive inequality around the planet cannot be solved by individual countries. We have to work together in order to solve those problems. And when we do, just imagine the, the, um, the power, the imaginative power, the creative power that will be released from you. Because when so many more members of the human family will be able to get an education and contribute from their, from their uh, individual talents to the whole, to the uh, development and the, um, um, you know, the, 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 the betterment of, uh, of humanity and the planet. Just imagine how soon we would be out of the woods and, and uh, have a, a global civilization with each country maintaining their own individual um, characteristics and, 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 uh, and, and preferences, etc. cetera, um, if, if we would only cooperate. So we have to recognize that, and I believe, according to Benjamin Cram, but also to uh, an increasing number of philosophers and, and uh, um, people who look at historians, I suppose you could say, um, that the current crises around the world are gradually bringing humanity to the realization that there is really only one way out of this, and that is through cooperation, creating justice for those who have been uh, left behind to starve needlessly, um, and through creating justice, uh, creating peace, because when you know everybody has at least uh, adequate food, shelter, education, and medical care, um, that will create trust around the world. When there's trust, there's uh, less conflict. When there's less conflict, um, you know, there's a greater uh, um, opportunity to cooperate. So it, it will be a, a self-sustaining and self-reinforcing cycle that will be set into motion once that first step has been taken. And probably it will take a a massive crisis, and, and I think the, uh, they are now um, coming together, COVID, uh, the economic crisis that is bound to happen when, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the bills, the, the, the government budgets needs to be need to be balanced again. Mm. Um, uh, massive unemployment, I imagine, um, climate, uh, climate change, all these things are, would, would, conglomerate into a, uh, um, a perfect storm that will only that we can only solve by by cooperating and um, we have fortunately we have uh, the inspiration and the help from very um, compassionate people um, to make that choice and to inspire us to make that choice um, the uh, uh, you know, if, if you might ask, 
uh, how would humanity, given our current state of confusion, uh, ever come to the uh, to the conclusion that we have to you know, switch to international cooperation? And uh, that would probably not happen if there would not be the the masters of wisdom and their influence so far behind the scenes, and especially the world teacher, who will step forward, according to Benjamin Krem, um, at exactly the right time when humanity is at its most responsive to his message of sharing and justice and peace. Uh, and of course, when that happens, he will also um, confirm the reality of the uh, brothers and sisters from space. Mm. And, and so that, will, that will, of course, give humanity an entirely new view of life. How far are they willing to go <clears throat> if we don't uh, listen? I'm sorry. How, how do you mean? No, like, um, like I, like my understanding, like from what you said so far, is like their interactions and influences on us have been pretty subtle. You know, mm. it's all been more like suggestions. Like, hey, you know, we suggest that you do this because this will happen if you don't. Um, but, but nowhere. You, you know, it doesn't seem like at any time they would force it on us. Never. You know, like, like, like they wouldn't like, you know, come to, you know, just like say, you know what, if you guys don't stop, we're going to wipe your ass out and start over again. No, they will never force that on us. Because if it doesn't come from humanity itself, there will always be the, um, the instinct, the, I don't know, the impulse to go against what has been forced on us. And so that would that would be counter-effective. And, and as we have seen in the, um, the residence of, um, of the Space Brothers, how great care they take not to force their presence on us and to respect our right to deny the obvious. Um, and, and exactly the same uh, uh, goes for the Masters of Wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, they will never force their presence on us. They will never force their ideas or, or solutions on us. They will suggest. They make sure that their information is available. Um, and due to the unique circumstances of of planet, solar system, humanity moving into the age of Aquarius and the um, doctrine of the um, of the coming one, the cyclical, the law of cyclic return of the teacher. Um, we are very fortunate that we live at this time when the teacher, the world teacher um, is poised to present himself to humanity to step out into the open um, everyday world and, and, and make himself known, which of course will, as I said, will change humanity's view of life when we hear about the evolution of consciousness, the, uh, the um, long cycles of incarnation after incarnation, gradually perfecting our expression of of our understanding of reality of our our divinity in in fact uh, we are all divine we're all sons of god to to use the christian term um, except we very very much differ very much in 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 terms of how the extent to which we are 
able to express that divinity. And our teachers, the masters of wisdom and the world teacher especially, they are they have perfected uh, the, uh, their expression of their divinity as far as this planet is concerned. So from our point of view, they are like gods um, and they are called masters, not because they, are, they uh, want to exert or exert some kind of authority, but because they have mastered themselves in their lower nature. So they are masters over themselves and over the laws of nature, the laws of physics. Um, and they can do things that we think of as miracles, mm -hmm. um, but they are, which are really only manipulations of, of the subtle energies that make for our objective reality. And so, so, so they've been where we are now. I'm they, sorry? So, have they been where we are now? Yes. And that's exactly. why they understand what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yes, absolutely. Um, they have evolved out of the human kingdom. They know our struggles. They know our pain. They know the, our our limitations, um, and and um, what it takes, how long it takes to to wrestle out of our confinement, uh, you know, in in the physical body, emotional body, and the mental body. Um, we are so identified with uh, with our physical body. You know, we think that the face that we see in the mirror in the morning is is me or we think that the feeling that i have um it could be a feeling of depression or a feeling of of uh, of joy or happiness uh, that that is me but all these things and and even the thoughts that we have you know they change from minute to minute so nothing not none of that is is uh, is uh, uh, substantial or or in any way um, um, uh, permanent. What is permanent is the seat of our consciousness, our souls. And um, so the masters of wisdom have have sort of um, uh, identified fully with their souls and and actually with the the aspect the the aspect beyond the soul, the monad. Um, which is the divine spark in every human being, and they express and experience life from that awareness as as a, uh, the divine spark, and they know exactly how how we are struggling to um, to manifest that or to evolve to that point. And of course, there's so many people in the world, especially at the moment, 7.5 billion people, which makes it a real task for the masters to. Um, to get humanity to a level of some kind of coordinated thought where we will sway in the right direction. Mm. And that again, that's not to do with making us think exactly alike, right. but giving us a, an understanding that we are all one. Um, well, was our planet, did, did we evolve on this planet naturally? Or were, was this planet seeded by aliens? Um, yeah, that's a very interesting uh, uh, idea that uh, that uh, comes up uh, a lot of the time. See, a solar system is, um, in, in the teachings, it's called the solar logos. And uh, the solar logos, like the, the god of the solar system, so to speak, the, the creator, the creator, the, 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 the being that ensouls the solar system, 
manifests through um, um, a number of planets in its orbit. And the planets are like the chakras in the body of the solar system. And each of the planets uh, are ruled by a planetary logos, like mm-hmm. a local godhead, so to speak. Um, and each planet has its own role to play in the evolution of the solar system. And the breath of life from the creative principle uh, in the ensouling being of this of the solar system streams out uh, um, through the various planets um, multiple times, and eventually, inevitably, um, that stream of li- that breath of life uh, reaches a point when the physical conditions on that planet have evolved to. Uh, to a, a situation where uh, human habitation becomes possible, whether it's on the dense physical or the subtle physical, the etheric physical plane. Um, so it all follows a plan. There's a grand plan that we can know nothing about that Im- that um, emerges from uh, the solar logos, um, which is taken up by the planetary logoi um, of the solar system who are responsible for uh, the uh, the manifestation of their part of the solar plan on their particular planet. And uh, uh, so the, the human family, the human kingdom is part of the plan f- of the logos of this planet. Uh, but in the teachings, it is said that um, the evolution of the human kingdom on this planet um, and this is getting a bit technical, but has been stimulated by a sacrifice of uh, highly evolved beings from the planet Venus. Um, And that is to do with something that went wrong on the previous um, expression of this planetary logos, of which our moon is the, uh, the remnant, the physical remnant. And uh, yeah, we we can't know anything about that, of course, because that's uh, um, millions and millions and millions and millions of years ago, and, and there's no records about that that we can access. Um, but so there is there is a certain um, a certain level of truth to the fact that not well aliens. I, I say alien is that that goes that goes against the human heart because we're all one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so an extraterrestrial influence, uh, kind of support from Venus, has allowed our planetary logos to uh, produce the human kingdom um, to a state to the state where it is now. Uh, despite uh, something having gone wrong in its previous incarnation. Hmm. Um, you mentioned Venus. Um, there is a story about somebody called Valiant Thor that was uh, supposedly mm. an extraterrestrial from Venus that came to Earth and interacted with the U.S. government. had a very similar message to what you're telling me. Are you familiar with him? Well, I, I'm familiar with the uh, with the account um, uh, given by Doctor Stranges, Frank Stranges, mm-hmm. um, and it's been or is being um, made into a a movie, a documentary. 
Um, and um, I'm aware through George Adamski, but also uh, some other contactees and, and Benjamin Krim, that there have been high-level contacts, um, especially in the 1950s, but certainly also after that, and not only with the U.S. government, but with uh, governments all over the world, uh, contacts between the extraterrestrial visitors and and the you know either the diplomatic force or or people in government, not not with the president necessarily or ministers, but with uh, you know the the um, officials behind the uh, the uh, the outer government, uh, but at government level, yes. Um, I don't know if Valiant Thor is um, you know the actual name or if that person was really um, if, if that was an, an actual account but it is certainly emblematic for for real happenings definitely mm-hmm. yes yeah I, I know that there's a book out there supposedly written i think by valiant thor and you know it, and it's all about you know warning the humans against uh nuclear annihilation basically mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's been a major, major concern of the uh, Space Brothers. Um, it is one of the reasons on, in 2019, I decided to, uh, to build a website to present all the facts that I could find uh, about George Adamski and place them in context. George Adamski, you may be aware, has been endlessly ridiculed and derided, um, uh, accused of fraud, um, uh, but when you look at the facts, the, the first report about uh, a human being on Earth having been contacted by a, a, an occupant of a flying saucer appeared on 24 November 1952 in the Phoenix Gazette. It was the report about Adamski's uh, meeting in the desert with Orson, the person from Venus, whom he referred to as Orton. Um, and in, even in the headline of the report, um, the, uh, the warnings of the visitors against the, the A-bomb um, were, uh, were represented. So Adamski, in his very first account of a meeting, in, in the, you know, physical meeting with, uh, with a visitor from space, um, was asked, was in, impressed with the uh, urgency of the situation that it, to such an extent that it even ended up in the very first report about such a claim. And, uh, of course, we all know about the uh, research that Robert Hastings has done uh, uh, concerning the uh, sightings of UFOs over U.S. Uh, military nuclear bases where nuclear weapons would have been um, what do you call that? Um, switched off, um, incapacitated mm-hmm. right. um, when UFOs were sighted by the personnel. Um, in, in, in another uh, example of, of their concern for our uh, nuclear capability. So uh, I'm just pointing this out because even though Adamski has been ridiculed, as I said, and derided, uh, his his uh, initial accounts were very much on point, uh, you know, and actually uh, substantiated with uh, research much later. 
this, uh, Robert Hastings uh, gave a, a massive uh, gave a press conference, I believe in 2010, with uh, eyewitnesses uh, from uh, from the military. Um, so it, it to me that points out how how Adamski was really uh, um, you know the real deal. And on my website, the Adamski case um, or George Adamski, the fact in context. Um, I present many, many more facts um, and, and f examples of his uh, foresight. Um, <laughs> another, another example, um, for a long time, it was thought that Adamski's book, which I mentioned earlier, The Wisdom of the Masters of the Far East, was his first book. In 2018, I discovered a, uh, an earlier book called The Invisible Ocean. And the Invisible Ocean, in, in that booklet, he describes life, reality, the universe, as a sea of consciousness, which is almost literally how uh, a system scientist and a systems philosopher like Irvin Laszlo or um, other people like him describe objective reality at the moment you know it's a cluster of the, the, the objective reality are clusters of coordinated vibration in a sea of consciousness that is our that is really the origin of our physical reality and george adamski wrote about that in 1932 in almost exactly those words and that shows to me how his his foresight his his how informed he was um and uh, yeah, but I, for me, it's beyond belief how people can still um, say a claim that he was a fraud. I, I know of at least three history teachers in the United States who even refuse to look at the facts that I've presented. And no, 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 you know, if, uh, it's just interesting how uh, how his uh, how his fantasies are still um, um, captivating people. Not looking at at the facts, it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, that that same idea has been presented throughout history for thousands of years. You know, it's in the Hindu traditions, it's in yes. uh, Buddhist traditions, um, native shaman traditions, all sort of are you know focus on the idea that reality is just that; it's just consciousness, and I think we just somehow became materialized <laughs> temporarily yes. or at least appeared that way because even when we look really deep down into the quantum level there's really nothing here exactly exactly the closer scientists look at um at matter at atoms at at uh, enzymes at um you know the protons that mm -hmm. make up the atoms and all those discrete little bits, the less solid footing they find to establish, well, this is, this is you know, the ultimate uh, root of matter. They can't find anything, and they can't distinguish, and that's the interesting part, they can't distinguish between life, living, living matter, and, 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 uh, uh, and not living, because everything seems to be alive when, when the, and there's now uh, extensive experiments, when you uh, observe a particle here and have some kind of impact on it, it has an effect on a particle 
at a, a, a massive distance. Yes. Yeah, is that a was it spooky action? Einstein yes, called spooky it? action at the distance. Uh, Einstein called it. Yes. So it's it's uh, fascinating how George Adamski wrote about reality in those terms. That almost similar to the scientific. Uh, um, explanations of the 21st century, um, how he um, was given uh, warnings about uh, nuclear, the dangers of nuclear power um, in the 1950s, um, how his descriptions of, of life on other planets uh, match the, uh, the needs of, uh, of humanity today, you know, the, the, the brotherhood um, that he describes even in Pioneers of Space, but especially in Inside the Spaceships, which came out in 1955, um, is exactly what we need on this planet to uh, to secure our survival. Wow. Um, what happens if... Uh, the human race does not succeed. Like, how is that going to affect other life in the solar system? Like, I mean, obviously, like I know because everything's connected, and our consciousness are all connected. It's is going to have an impact that they definitely don't do not want to happen. Um, do, do you have any idea of like like does it set them back in their evolution? Yes, definitely. Um, it will have a profound impact on on uh, the other planets um, in the in the solar system uh, and the evolution of the solar system as as such. Um, of course, you know, even though for us it is critical at this time and and time is running out for the solar logos, you know, eternity from our point of view, eternity. Um, um, there's, there's, um, you know, there will definitely be be a, a setback in in its evolution, and it will have to wait for the the logos of this planet to produce another human kingdom. Or, well, we've been told by the space brothers and by uh, the masters of wisdom that. The space brothers will not allow humanity to blow the planet to pieces because that would that would really upset the solar system even in a physical way. It would cause oh, such yeah. imbalance, and you know that that would be that would actually affect the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, humanity, from its own free will, if if we decide to to destroy ourselves, uh, then it will take millions of years in our time in our time frame uh, to um, to rebuild um, re-evolve a human kingdom to a, uh, a similar point of evolution where we are now and that will yeah uh, inevitably affect the uh, evolution of the solar system oh, so it'd be like a real bummer to other life on other planets absolutely absolutely yes and it will be a great tragedy of course and it is completely un- it would be completely unnecessary is there anything other than our physical or what appears to be physical manifestation that that also makes us unique? 
one of the things that, that comes up in a lot of my interviews is the idea of, of multidimensionality and, uh, and that humans have the capacity to not just be physical, but to be ethereal, astral, and, and go through different dimensions. Mm. Is that something that, that, that is unique to humans or is that uh, unique to other life forms in the solar system? Well, it is actually a part of the composition of the solar system. And, and uh, that, too, is something that I write about in, in Chapter 2 of my book. It has to do with the composition of, of the, the objective, the physical solar system. Um, it's interesting, uh, mind you, that science, uh, astrophysics, says that um, according to their calculations, there must be more mass in the universe that they can spot. In fact, there's 96% or something of the universe that they cannot pinpoint. And that points to the reality of a, a, a kind of energy, energetic reality behind what we can see. Just like you know the, the frequencies of sound that we cannot hear, which our dogs can hear, for instance, mm -hmm. or the frequencies of light that we cannot see. Um, and according to Blavatsky, whose, whose uh, exposition I try to summarize in, in chapter two of my book, um, space consists of seven layers. There are seven layers of space. And in the layer of space where we exist, uh, we have the lowest, the lowest uh, planes in that layer are the... Uh, the physical, including the etheric physical, the astral, and the cosmic astral, the cosmic mental, the cosmic buddhic uh, level, and 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 uh, and uh, three levels above that, and even you know the physical, the cosmic physical is dense physical, liquid physical, gaseous physical, and then uh, four levels of uh, etheric um, physical planes, um, and these. And this is just the, the the lowest layer of space in which we exist, and there are other layers of space. There are other, I don't know if they exist simultaneously, other universes. Um, the life force on other planets, uh, maybe on another globe in the system. It's it's very it's actually very. Uh, abstruse and, and mm -hmm. esoteric, but uh, Blavatsky explains that a planet is really uh, a chain of beads. And the breath of life um, from the creative principle descends from the, the globe at the top of the chain um, into the, the globes below it, the seven, seven beads in the chain. And um, as the breath of life descends, and the first couple of globes, life is is uh, not at all physical. It's very uh, undistinct and and uh, you know not not so discrete the life forms. And our Earth is in fact the lowest globe in the Earth chain. And when we make it through this uh, crucial period uh, in uh, the next round of our planetary evolution, um, our physical reality will be less dense physical than it is now uh, as we uh, travel journey make the journey of evolution back to 
the uh, the highest globe in the Earth chain, um, and all these things make I think for the the actual explanation of what what now because you know there's a lot of um, theories and speculation hypotheses about multidimensionality, but I think it's all related to these very esoteric aspects of the teachings. Mm-hmm. Um. Vibration. One of the other topics that comes up a lot is this idea that humans' consciousness can can raise the vibration uh, to a point where we no longer need a physical body. Do do you think that is a possibility? Well, that is uh, certainly a fact for the masters. The masters no longer need a physical body. Um, they maintain an etheric body of expression, which they can manifest into a physical appearance uh, at will. Um, but the dense physical manifestation of mankind at this time for, for human- average humanity, of course, is, uh, is a given. Uh, but as we, uh, as we evolve and, and we uh, um, identify... Uh, when we, if we manage to identify fully with the divine spark, with our original spiritual origin, uh, individual uh, origin, um, we exist on on a spiritual plane, and uh, you know consciousness needs a, a form of, of uh, manifestation of expression to in order to experience life at any given level. Um, so the masters they who remain on this planet. If there are plenty of masters who, who um, um, go, go on to higher uh, parts of evolution, higher planets, higher solar systems for their um, um, extended evolution. Um, and, uh, but there are always uh, a certain number of masters who remain on the planet and, and they don't actually need as many masters on, the, on Earth who do not have a physical body because they no longer need a physical body in order to, uh, in order to evolve because they've reached the, uh, the point of perfection seen from, from our planet's uh, point of view. Um, and uh, they, so they exist in the, uh, on the etheric planes. Hmm. On the etheric plane, like, do they still communicate with each other? You know, like look at us, look down, and say, you know, it, like, do they work and collaborate and communicate with each other and come up with ideas or a game plan on how they can help us out? Or they all sort of work individually? No, no, they are they are a brotherhood, uh, a popular a popular uh, name for the spiritual hierarchy of masses is the white brotherhood um, and they work in in uh, absolute unison they have their own distinct tasks and their roles in the in the hierarchy um, and the hierarchy of course is a is a merely a reflection of the fact of stage different stages of evolution a junior master someone who's just become recently become a master has has, has reached the point of uh, perfection has does not have the same experience 
and perhaps not the same level of initiation as the ascended masters or the world teacher. The world teacher is the master of all the masters. But they work as a, as a group. They work only in a group because they are also the, um, uh, the custodians of mm -hmm. the uh, enormous and the powerful cosmic energies that stream into this planet um, all the time from cosmos, from various sources, from the, sol from the sun, from the constellations of the zodiac, especially Pisces and Aquarius, and Aquarius is now um, uh, ascendant, um, uh, from other sources, Sirius, for instance, um, and they are the custodians of those energies, and they, and they direct those energies to where, um, according to their plan, because the masters are also custodians of the plan of evolution for for our planet, the plan of evolution that has been set in motion by the planetary Logos, um, who is the, the head of the planet. Um, and they, so they work as a group and they cooperate uh, completely. Um, there seems to be sometimes, you know, differences of, of opinion um, as to a particular approach. Uh, of a certain problem or an aspect of the plan, but uh, they work in, in perfect harmony um, and um, their, um, yes, their cooperation is really an example of, um, for, for humanity. Um, and, uh, they, they, and, and they are in constant communication, not just with each other, but also with uh, the hierarchies of the other planets and therefore with, uh, with the Space Brothers. Interesting. That kind of leads me to this question. I think it's like I read my mind. Um, one of the other topics that comes up a lot in some of my interviews, I mean, so far we've talked about, you know, beings within our solar system. But I have talked to a lot of people that say they've had, con had, had contact with uh, sources from uh, Pleiadians, Syrians, and I think the other one is Articulans. Arcturians. Arcturians, yes. Yes, I, I know I know of these uh, claims and, and stories. Um, in in one of my previous books, I addressed that uh, those claims. Um, first of all, Benjamin Graham says that all of the contacts and all of the visitors uh, on our planet are from people from other planets in the solar system, and of course. Um, if you have no experience with Benjamin Cram, if you have not been to his talks or you haven't read his books, and or if you have no background in the Asian's wisdom teaching, uh, that wouldn't mean anything to anyone. Um, to me, um, as a student of the Asian's wisdom teaching, I see his work as an extension of the uh, the work done by Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and others that I that I mentioned. And, and therefore, I attach um, a, uh, a good level of uh, authenticity uh, to his information. But at the same time, when we apply logic um, to those claims of contact from other systems, um, see, other planets within the solar system apparently are very much evolved. And this knowledge or these claims came about through the contactees of the 1950s, who initially all stated 
these are people from Mars, from Venus, from Saturn. When they were ridiculed by science, among other sections of um, of uh, society, um, people began to say because you know, and, and 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 of course, science had had its reasons to say you know this is ridiculous because uh, when we point our uh, telescopes to uh, Venus or Mars, there's nothing uh, to be seen there. So it's impossible that they come from Venus or Mars. Um, of course, not aware of uh, the uh, the fact that is uh, scientifically um, accepted now that life does not necessarily need a carbon-based physical uh, body of expression. It could just as well be etheric, uh, subtle, uh, made up of subtle energy, subtle uh, physical um, matter. Um, and so... When when these first contactees were ridiculed for their for their claims, uh, people started uh, using uh, you know other uh, origins of their contacts. Maybe knowingly, maybe you know they were they were given um, uh, this information by their contacts so as not to allow them to be ridiculed. Uh, I don't know, uh, but if you if you look at the you know at the logic that nature teaches us nature doesn't jump eh? that that's a very uh, well-known expression given that there are must be planets in our system that are evolved far beyond our point given that the solar system is a unit how would it help how how would it be possible for humanity if it's so difficult for us to apply and implement the advice given to us by the uh, visitors from Venus or Mars about the way we organize society. How would it then be possible to even understand what visitors from the Pleiadians or Arcturus uh, would, would share with us? They would be so far beyond their, their, their type of their, their their type of living, the, the, the kind of manifestation, how they manifest uh, as living forms would be so far beyond our imagination. It wouldn't even be possible um, to absorb, I say, um, by you know mortal humans. So it, it makes much more sense for contacts to, um, to, to originate from within our own solar system. Which you know, which are very much aware of the uh, living circumstances uh, and the state of humanity on this planet. Um, it's not that the higher systems wouldn't be aware of it, but it it would just bounce off us, uh, mm -hmm. as it were. So that is that is my take on on these claims. Before we wrap this up, I have one more question for you. Uh, one of the things that I have heard about. <clears throat> is um, because of the mess that we are in here, that we have ourselves in on Earth, that one of the things that the Venetians have been doing is actually taking humans to Venus, to live on Venus, just in case we wipe ourselves out. So do you yes. think that the we, that there are humans living on Venus, and that the Venetians are gathering 
willing human subjects to go live on that other planet? Um, I've heard, I've heard those claims too, um, and I know, or, you know, again based on on the information uh, from Benjamin Graham, from from George Adamski and others, I know that people incarnate on different planets uh, for for certain experiences in their individual evolution. George Adamski, in fact, I I'm convinced uh, was. Um, originated from was a soul from from Venus who incarnated here for this specific purpose for this mission of of uh, um, familiarizing humanity with the uh, concept of uh, the rest of the pop solar system being populated, um, taking humans who have taken incarnation already so who are living in a physical body. Uh, to Venus would not make much sense because they couldn't live there on the, on the dense physical plane because nothing is going on there on the dense physical plane or whatever is going on there would be very would be very harmful for Earth human bodies. Um, so there is there is an interchange exchange of souls incarnating on various planets. Um, you know various uh, well-known initiates uh, from history. Um, originated uh, from um, from different planets. Um, uh, for instance, uh, let me see if I can find the uh, some examples here. George, uh, Benjamin Krem, for instance, he said that uh, where where do I have it? Um, he said that um, uh, William Shakespeare was from Jupiter. Maria Callas, the uh, the soprano, the or tenor, what was she? Soprano was from Mars, and Leonardo da Vinci was from Mercury. Um, so you know, there's and and there's people from Earth also incarnating, maybe for one lifetime or for several lifetimes on on other planets, and the experiences that they that they uh, gain there uh, th through their incarnation, uh, of course, will be. Uh, will be put to use again in their next incarnation on Earth. So you don't think they're actually taking physical bodies, but maybe it's possible that when people die, they incarnate on other planets. Uh, it would not be possible for an Earth physical body to uh, to survive on on any of the other planets in our solar system. Hmm. You could only travel in etheric bodies, but. Uh, that will only be temporary. George Adamski was, uh, you know, traveled to uh, to um, Mars and Venus uh, in his uh, etheric body, um, and and his physical body was uh, um, protected here, was uh, kept uh, uh, safe uh, until his return, because there's a silver thread there's a, that that attaches the uh, etheric body to the physical body, and if that's broken. Then your incarnation, uh, you know, is uh, really messed up. Um, and uh, once you can travel, both in the etheric body or in consciousness, as he did before, which he described in Pioneers of Space. Uh, but um, uh, you know, you you still have to come back to your physical body, or else uh, you die, or or something goes uh, really awry. Mm -hmm. Are there any dangers to doing that? Um, 
I don't know because I don't have, uh, ex except perhaps in, in my dreams, but mm -hmm. I don't have any uh, any uh, um, conscious experience of that. Okay, so you, so uh, you haven't tried to actually experiment to have an out of body experience to to go to other planets. Um, um, I don't know actually where to start, but I would I would love to uh, to experiment and uh, and do that. Yes. Well, that's pretty cool. I would like to do that too. Yes. Yes. Uh, I suppose you need a contact too. <laughs> I don't know. No. Um, well, thank you for taking the time to be on my podcast today. Um, thank you so much for having me, Gary. It was a pleasure. Yeah, this was awesome. You're definitely welcome back anytime you want. Uh, where can my listeners find you? Um, well, I have a website where not much is happening except uh, announcements of interviews or, or talks or new books, um, bgapublications.nl. Uh, but my, you know, I also have a, an author page on um, on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I don't know if you if you have the uh, possibility to share that somewhere on your yes. page. I can send you the link. No, I have it. Okay. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, I'll share your Amazon page, and I'll share your website in the notes of this episode. Oh, yes, and uh, perhaps listeners are also interested in the uh, George Adamski website that I mentioned, and um, um, I have another website with the uh, uh, well, a very uh, comprehensive overview of uh, the Ages Wisdom teachings uh, through the, all the various publishers uh, that that we discussed. Awesome. I don't think I have that one. You'll have to send that I'll, one to me. I'll send. I'll send you that one. Yes. Great. Great. Awesome. And thank you again for taking the time to to be on the podcast. And uh, I'm My just going to hang on one moment. And I'm just going to play the outro. Sure. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.